This week's Cloudcast is brought to you by Momentum SI. Whether you want to migrate applications to the cloud, transform to enable DevOps, gain insight from big data, or accelerate your agile development, Momentum SI's strategy, consulting, and hands-on expertise can help you get there faster and with greater success. Check them out at MomentumSI.com. And now, on to the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Dell and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and as we have kind of shifted the focus of the show slightly, um, we've really wanted to start to dig into some ecosystems and some infrastructures, and not just around cloud computing, but also sometimes social media as well. And so with that, we have a co-host joining tonight. Brian was unable to make it, but we've got Kenny Coleman returning to the show. Kenny, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I, I appreciate it. Asking me to come in here and talk a little bit about what the hell's going on in the world. Yeah. And this is going to be interesting because this is almost like a little bit of inception in the fact that we have Tom Rossi. Tom is the founder of Molehill, but also Buzzsprout. And Buzzsprout is a podcasting service that we happen to use. And we've been a customer for probably going on four years now. Um, so, Tom, how are you doing, man? Good, good. So, first of all, you know, Tom, tell us a little bit about the background of both Molehill and Buzzsprout and some of the other things you have going. And and how did you get, you know, some of these, like, smaller companies to just scale out on the web so quickly? Sure, sure. Well, uh, Molehill, let me tell you a little bit about that. We started off originally as a client services company in 1996, and um, in 2001, we launched our first product, and it was geared towards nonprofits. And um, that was our, the very first product that we launched. And we launched our next product in 2006, which was called Tick, um, which is time tracking for people that track time against budgets. And then uh, after we launched our second product, these nonprofits that were using our first product, you know, we were helping them with podcasting, and it was just this constant nightmare. Like we we kept writing. My business partner Kevin Finn kept writing documents, you know, to help them get their podcasts going. And we kept saying, "Man, we we just need to do this. Like we we need it for our for our customers." And so in 2008, we launched Buzzsprout, and uh, immediately had you know some customers because we had all these people that we were already serving with uh with our other product that it was easy to bring them on board and and get them to start using Buzzsprout as kind of our you know initial base of users Very and then um in 2011 we partnered with uh, Ryan Henneis uh he has a product called Donor Tools which again works with a lot of nonprofits and so it, we've got a lot of a lot of history with nonprofits and that's really uh what what drove us to Buzzsprout a lot of churches that um, you know, typically they're they're dealing with volunteers that come and go, and they've got uh, you know sermon audio that they want to be able to get up and out, and um, you know they're not they're not usually that technical, and so that was really our original base when we launched Buzzsprout was targeting those folks with a tool that was really simple um, to be able to quickly get their their information out there, you know, to be able to get their sermon audios and, and eventually podcasts and other type of uh, other types of podcasts out there with Buzzsprout. Yeah, and and 
the the simplicity thing is actually really amazing because for us that was actually one of the things that that drew us to Buzzsprout as a, as a service of, you know, we decided to get this going, but, but we honestly, we didn't know if this was going to work or not. So we decided we were going to do this on an absolute bare bones, minimal shoestring kind of budget way back when, and minimal amount of time. And quite frankly, we just didn't feel like learning ins and outs of audio and podcasting and all these other things. And so we just kind of signed up for the service and we were like, oh, you know, it was very easy. The workflow was basically right. up, upload podcast, publish podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we, we get that still to this day. You'll have people that will you know, email and support and they're like, well, is that it? Like, do I need, is there something else I need to do? And it's like, no, right. you're good. Yeah. And, and I remember that, you know, the early days when we were still trying to figure out it, we had a lot of issues in the first couple episodes around figuring out um, MP3 tags and how to get everything to populate in the Apple iTunes store correctly. And, and it might have even been you. I don't, we'd have to go back and look at the emails, but, but it was the funniest thing. For like the first month or two, we said so many of the help us please emails. And it, was, it was just, you know, it wasn't y'all by any means. It was just like, help us please. We have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, we had, we had very little information out there on our site you know we didn't we didn't have a now we've got a, a ton of help information and articles that have been written um jared ripkema if you've emailed support you've probably talked with him you know he really engages the community well and helps to write copy um and so he's he's put a lot of that information out there to, to help the the beginner who says i don't i don't even know what am i supposed to put in here for this and so yeah, it's definitely when you when you started there was very little. And so if you emailed support, you were definitely talking to me. You were talking to me or you're talking to Kevin. Sure, sure. Either of the principals at the time. Now now tell us a little bit because we talked about kind of the, the simplistic front end and that was really written to serve a specific user base, quite frankly. But but honestly the back end when you really break it down into all the services and all the different things you touch gets really complex very quickly when you think about talking to the the Apple iTunes store, when you talk about an RSS feed and serving out that podcast, you talk about the analytics that, that we as the podcasters see on our page, the the APIs and you know the players we can embed in pages. I mean, it just kind of goes on and on and on. Um, I, you know, what was it like to build that out, first of all? Um, you know, I think it... it the the way that Molehill approaches our our products, it's always with you know the philosophy of trying to to take a problem that could be difficult and make it a molehill, you know, to make it something that we can solve simply. And so it's not on the background. In the background, it might be you know really complicated, but we want it on the front end to feel like yes, you know, this this solves that problem. But in order to do that, we really have to be focused um, on on what we're going to try and solve. And so with with um, Buzzsprout, that has always been, you know, our mantra that we'll that we'll go back to is we want to be the easiest way for somebody to be able to create and publish their podcast. And so we're always asking the question: Is this feature or is this thing that we're doing is it going to help them uh, with with being able to easily create and publish their podcast? And so that's kind of what we run everything through. But on the back end, like we said, it can get really complicated, especially when you start looking at. Um, you know, what we've just rolled out with stats, which is the most complicated thing we've, we've ever incorporated into Buzzsprout. Um, 
scaling um, hasn't really been – it was a bigger issue when we first got into product development. When we launched our first product, we were so concerned about scaling. We were so concerned about what's going to happen when we have a million customers and is this still going to – you know, is it going to work? And I remember I was talking to uh, the guys – at um, 37 Signals that, that do Basecamp, and you know we follow them and, and love their philosophy and everything. And I was talking to uh, David Hennemeyer Hansen, who did uh, Rails, which we also use the Ruby on Rails framework. And I was asking him, I was like, well, is this going to scale? What's going to happen when I have a million customers? And he goes, well, do you have a million customers? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like right. oh, no, but I could. <laughs> and he's like, well, don't you think you'll be able to solve that problem when you have a million customers? For, well, for one thing, you have a lot more money in your pocket, you know? And uh, I think there was, there was a lesson that, that we learned or that we continue to, to struggle with, but it is you know, not spending a lot of time solving problems that we don't have. And if we had spent too much time worrying about the scale, I think, you know, it just doesn't pay off. You know, one of the other mantras that, that I've been hammering is, you know, writing the least amount of code to meet the current requirements with the most flexibility, um, you know, to be able to meet future requirements. And that's from a, a girl named Sandy Metz who who's helps out Rails coders. And um, it just it carries a lot of weight when you're talking about scaling. Like, don't spend a lot of time on scaling up front. Wait until you, you get something moving and then try to solve those problems as they come up. Sure. And so that's worked out really well for us of as we run into issues, we, you know, we're, we're constantly monitoring what, what might be running slow or what we might have issues to. And then you go and you, you look at how can we improve that. Is it just throwing more memory at it? Is it just throwing um, you know, some type of resource at it? And it, every time that we preempt that, it's bit us, you know? Um, every time that we've we've said, well, let's this is going to make it this is going to make it better in the long run. This is going to make it easier to scale. I mean, it just it just bites us. You spend more time re-engineering it after you actually run into the problem, and it's different than the way you expected. So it's a, a just-in-time delivery model. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> in a lot of ways, it is. Now, yeah, t- you go, ahead, go ahead, Kenny. There, you know, I, I think you're talking about you know Rails and, and the web servers and how you're doing all this. So you talked about the monitoring and your scaling. So how are you how are you monitoring these particular services? Are there certain products? Are there certain um, outsourcing companies that you look to 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 make sure that your service is always reliable? Yes. So we'll use uh, we have monitoring services like Pingdom, you know, that'll just tell us up and down statuses. But then we also have um, another app called Scout Scout app, um, which uh, monitors memory and disk and stuff like that. And then New Relic, we'll use New Relic to be able to track just how long. Um, Query times are taking and things like that. I, I don't want to talk too fast. Have you heard of those apps before? Have yes, you guys talked about them? Before? Okay, great. Yep. So, those, so those like in the Rails community, they're just thrown around all the time, you know. And so we we do use them um, to be able to monitor our apps. So I guess another question. I've been, I've done some some Rails development myself. Is there a way that you've kind of uh, looked at this and said this is getting the best performance? You know, I, I read a lot about looking at things such as Unicorn versus Thin versus all these different web servers that are out there. Is there one that you guys have kind of nailed down that that is that has worked the best for you? Uh, well, we work with uh, Rails Machine. They do our hosting. So they're the third party that manages the data center and all of those kind of things. And they, uh, you know, they're kind of the experts in that field. So we rely on them. And what they have us using right now is Passenger. So we yep. use a Passenger instance, um, you know, with Apache. 
And that's, you know, that's worked out really well for us. But I know that's, that's kind of their job. That's what they think about and that's what they worry about is what's the best way for us to be able to serve up Rails apps and then that's, we that's kind the of follow with them. Yeah, you, you stay out of the way. Let somebody else worry about the operations. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, it, it took us a while to reach that point. I don't recommend that you start there. Um, but we definitely, as, uh, as the company, as our products began to grow, uh, there were there there was just too much stress associated with well what happens what happens at three o'clock in the morning if our connection goes down um, and and so that's where we said you know what it's time to just spend the money and get an expert that can manage it and so we went with Rails Machine and uh, we've been you know we've been really happy with it cool very cool now when you started all of this did you just immediately go and figure out, okay, I'm going to go get you a pretty basic host and, and a pretty basic set of services. And then, um, you know, what were the things that, that you kind of outgrew first as you were growing up? Yeah, that was the thing that we grew, outgrew first was, uh, you know, the homegrown server where I had, I mean, I did not know what I was doing. And I had set up a Linux box uh, an old PC that I just installed Linux on and threw it in a, my brother had a data center that we could use. And so we just literally plugged it in and that's where we launched Tick. When we first launched Tick, it was on this little, you know, computer that wasn't even good enough to use as a home computer. And it it was amazing how it performed because, um, you know, Linux just didn't eat up that much resources. But, you know, we knew quickly that that wasn't going to last very long. And so, um you know, once we started to to generate some revenue, once now we, now we were making some movement, then at that point we started looking at okay, what's a long term solution, and then moving to you know a, a bigger server, and then eventually moving into a, a managed hosted service. Sure. Now, do you guys use any of the more advanced, like I don't know, like CDN or database as a service, or like do you guys actually farm out a lot of the actual content management or do you guys still do that in-house we we actually do but that was a that's a great example of where i violated that principle i was telling you about where we were so concerned about um you know scaling buzzsprout and where were all these episodes going to live that we went we set up we, we built the app around amazon's s3 service um so when you uploaded your episode we would process it and then we would immediately upload it to s3 so we launched it with that content delivery network. Now, granted, we didn't have any customers when we wrote the, so- the software. You know, I mean, we had an expectation that we would pick up, you know, the-, the customers that were asking for it. But still, we solved the problem too quickly. And when we launched it, and we actually had to start people people using it, well, we launched it with a free plan where people could host their episodes for up to 90 days. Well, guess what? <laughs> for those 90 days... You were paying S3. Yeah. You were paying S3, and I'll tell you what, when those bills started coming in, we were like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> you know. So what happened was we, we tried to solve a problem that we didn't have, and we created a new problem. <laughs> and so we ended up having to change all of that around in the first, I don't know, it was probably the first six months of launching Buzzsprout was we had to change the way that we interact with Amazon S3. So now what happens is when you upload your episode, um, you know, we'll process it and we'll host it out, out of our data center um, for the first 90 days or so. So that way um, we, our free accounts, aren't, we're not paying to host those on those content delivery networks. And then once they get moved into more of an archive, then we'll push them off into a content delivery network. And right now we're using Amazon S3. Gotcha. And uh, kind of unrelated to the architecture for one, one second. I want to come back to that in, in a bit. Um, 
So in the podcasting world, um, is it pretty much still Apple is the big one that everyone needs to deal with and, and that you need to deal with on a regular basis? Is there other services or libraries or directories that are even left anymore? Because I remember there used to be like Podcast Alley and all these other things, but it seems like there's no one left except for um, the Apple Store. Well, Stitcher, you know, Stitcher has seen yep, a ton yep. of traction. There's a lot of these um, There's a lot of these apps for iPhone and uh, Android that are, you know, podcatchers where you can just put in your podcast and it'll download them to your phone so you can listen to them, you know, in your car and stuff like that. So I think we're seeing a lot of those. Um, that are popping up now, and so it'll be interesting to see, you know, who, who kind of rises to the top. But but Stitcher is the one that we hear a lot. And of course, when we got into stats, um, you know, we had to spend a lot of time looking at what's consuming our our podcast episodes, so that we could um, handle what's a true play and what's not a true play. And um, and so yeah, we we definitely we definitely see a lot of of other devices. I mean, uh, other things that are consuming podcasts besides iTunes. Yep. And, and, you know, through you, of course, we are on Stitcher and, and the, the new analytics and we'll, we can talk about those next, but the new an- analytics are very sti- Stitcher like, mm-hmm. um, and, and really like them. It's, it's really, it's as the, you know, the person actually creating the podcast, the, the new statistics are, are very helpful, but tell us a little bit about that because, uh, you know, we, we were kind of like it rolled out one day and we're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. But and, and like you said, that was probably one of the biggest things you ever tackled. And, you know, obviously from from demand, but but how did it go about like from an architecture standpoint and a development standpoint? Like, how did you do something that large and then kind of plunk it down? Because quite frankly, it went really well. We didn't have any problems. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. We, we, we joke about that in the office because it was the biggest rollout that we've probably seen in the last couple years and we were all expecting something and there was nothing like there was no issues and uh yeah so we've been we've been real happy with the rollout but we did we spent a lot of time on it i mean we spent more time we probably spent we probably spent almost as much time as what we spent originally developing buzzsprout with just that feature because it was just you know it, it was so big but it was you know it's not it's not so much the you know, the technical as, you know, Kevin and his team, he's got uh, Dave Ditches, another creative person that works with him. And they really had to, to tackle what, what information are we going to give our podcasters? Because we're going to be true to our calling, which is to make it simple and <laughs> to be able to create and publish your podcast. And w- it would be easy to just throw information at people, you know, um, to, to, to just throw stuff statistics out there there were so many statistics and there's stuff that you know we get excited about as technical people you know um but that people probably don't care about and you look at something like google analytics where you can just get overwhelmed with data um but that's kind of lazy to just throw that out there and so we really wanted to say well what can we do to figure out what statistics are meaningful What's what? What's actionable? What's something that can actually help them make their podcast better? Let's focus on, you know, sorting through all of these analytics and figure out what is it that we want to what we want to present. And so the creative team really had a challenge in figuring out, you know, how to present it in a way that's understandable and for our beginning podcasters who aren't very technical, um, but still giving them actionable data that's going to help them. And so that's that was kind of what was driving it. 
um, you know, was trying to figure out how to, how to tackle that. I think it's fantastic. I mean, data makes everybody happy, right? Being able to get immediate feedback to be able to even, you know, take those analytics that you guys are driving and be able to see which kind of podcasts are working, which ones aren't working, the topics, the drop-offs rates, the, the clicks, the listens, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you can see how, like what, the way that you just described it, that's meaningful for, for you as a podcaster. There's so many things that we could have given people that just aren't that meaningful. And that's, that's the hard part is to figure out because, you know, like you said, people love data. And we, we, we have requests all the time for, you know, you'll have a pastor who's saying, well, I want to know where people are listening. Well, where's your church? You know, does it matter how many people are listening to you from Tokyo? <laughs> you know, but he kind of wants to know. But why does he want to know? It's not really going to help him in the creation of his content, you know, for, for a pastor. Now it might for somebody else who's, you know, they're trying to break into some kind of international market. But so that's something that we really had to, to wrestle with is what can we give them statistics to actually mean something and figuring out a way to, to, to make it so that it doesn't hinder uh, people. It doesn't make them like, I don't want to click on that because it's scary. We want to make sure that it, it feels good. Now, so I'll ask you a question, and then it, it is rooted in a story I'll get to in a second. But, but how often do you have to deal with curveballs thrown at you by Apple when it comes to, like, interfacing with the store or infrastructure or anything like that? Um, it's, it's a pretty regular basis. Because <laughs> um, cause we've had a lot of issues with, like, oh, now we have to do, you know, new resolution podcast albums, you know, the album artwork or, you know, all right, these other things. Yeah. Right? So, um, but, our, but our story was the, the, the one time where we just – we thought we were awesome because it was – oh, gosh, let's see. It would have been so, – so, Kenny, for you, it would have been VMworld, I think, 2012, so around August, September's time frame. Um, our numbers went through the roof. Like our numbers like tripled overnight and we're like, what the hell just happened? Like, this is great. You know, this is right, we, right. We, But it turns out what had happened is Apple ro- rolled out their podcast app at yeah. the time. And, and then we, we dug into it actually with probably again with you, but with, with, us, with, yeah. with support of what the heck just happened to our stats and why did they just triple? And it turns out the podcasting app was like doing micro downloads instead of downloading the entire thing. It was downloading bits and pieces and artificially inflating the stats. Mm-hmm. And it took, it took us a while to get to the bottom of that, but yeah. <laughs> just that was to... the biggest, that was the biggest curveball in the history of curveballs. <laughs> Cause yeah, but, but they were really on the front end of what everybody did. And so now Stitcher and all the mobile apps, really, they, they use these partial HTTP requests and so you'll get you know hundreds of requests for the same episode, but they're only requesting what's they call it a byte range. They're only grabbing a byte range of data at a time, and uh, we really had to, had to address that pretty quickly, as you probably remember. We were yes. working support with our customers who were you know what happened, and then well, we felt and, bad, of course, because we had to break the news to them. That, right. No, you, you didn't just hit it. Big. You're not you're not as awesome as you think you are. <laughs> right. Um, right. Now, now that brings up an interesting point, though, too, and and where I was going to go to next of that was really the start. Um, you know, because we were on Stitcher from way back when as well, but that was that was the start of really kind of that that move of podcasts from you download it to your computer and then you sync your computer to your iPod or whatever to you actually listen to it from a mobile device and a, and a full download from 
a laptop or a computer wasn't the established data path anymore. Yeah. Um, and that was that was when Brian and I, way back when, that was like, oh, wow, everyone's kind of consuming everything slightly differently because we were always concerned about, like, where are they getting it from? How are they getting it? What platforms are they using? And that was the – that actually – was a kind of a turning point for us. And we actually launched uh, the mobile cast, another podcast to spin off of ours kind of around exploring a lot of those, those technologies and those ideas. But, but then what I also wanted to talk about was, you know, this evolution to mobile is like Buzzsprout, for instance, is available both as a web application, but it's also a mobile app. Um, and well, it's, a, it's the, we, our website is just very mobile friendly. There we you make go. It, yes, and and yeah. What's it so it's like? Not a, a, Did a you go app. through the same kind of mindset? And is it different to develop to kind of platform specifics like that? Or tell us a little bit about your thinking and your evolution. Yeah, I think that's the challenge facing all web developers right now. Is we have to build our sites such that they work on a desktop, they work on a, a mobile phone, and they work on tablets. And um, the Kevin's creative guys, Kevin and, and Dave Ditches, have done a really good job of of learning that and then in bringing it into our into our web apps, making them so that they're mobile friendly. And Buzzsprout, especially because of like what you were talking about, so many people were looking on their phones to be able to listen to podcasts. So we really needed a good mobile interface um, to be able to do that, and so that. That was something that we tackled. We tackled a while ago uh, because it was it was just something that we we heard so much about. But yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, it's like building another version of your app. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's just the natural progression. Way you build a web, you build it mobile first. And then as soon as you get those APIs and everything working on the back end, then you can start looking at uh, going native. If you even think it's uh, a necessary time suck to, to build an app for it and let it get lost in the Apple store. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, we're, we're in an interesting time right now of, of these technologies converging and how, how we're going to make apps because everybody wants to do it right. When you write, when you have a web app, you also want to have a native app that runs in iOS, but Oh wait, we also need one for Android. So, you know, right. I think we're all in the same boat of, of trying to figure out how can we, best leverage our talents yep yep so um we're 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 running out of time for this week um but first of all uh before we kind of close this up you know not just because you're on the show because i mean we have told pretty much anyone who will listen you know we've been just super super happy with the service over the years very reliable very easy to use so so certainly you know wholeheartedly recommend it to to everyone that's out there that's thinking about um, launching a podcast or, or hosting a podcast if you're looking for a new home for your podcast. Um, so, Tom, where can everyone follow you or, or the company and find out about what's going on um, either at Molehill or Buzzsprout and if they want to start using your services? Sure, yeah, buzzsprout.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Buzzsprout. Uh, you can also go to our site. We've got links to, to everything. Very cool. All right. Well, um, if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the CloudcastNet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything CloudCast. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Kenny. And Thanks, thank guys. you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it. Have a good week, guys.
thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And by you, of course, we mean the NSA.